I sit down to do a shot list, whenever I sit down to do storyboards, I often forget that all of the stuff that I've seen, all of the things that I love come into play. So if I sit down and try to design a music video, right? And I've done this in the past with bands like Killswitch Engage, where I sit there, I listen to the music, and I let it play out in my head. And what always happens is I remember visuals, I remember moments and emotions that I felt from the music videos from my youth. And especially with a lot of the Kill Switch stuff, um, and with the solos that are in the Kill Switch Engage videos, I kept thinking back to my favorite, my all-time favorite uh, guitarist in a music video, Slash and Guns N' Roses. And as a kid, I really didn't know much about playing instruments. I didn't know much about playing guitar. I just knew that this amazing sound was coming out of this guy who was wearing tight pants and tight jeans and walking out with a flannel and a handkerchief hanging out of his back pocket, kicking his way out of a church and bringing this guitar up and leaning back and doing a solo. I don't know how many times that I've planned out a video that one of those slash moments comes into mind. Thinking about, because that was from the November Rain video. And if you go back and you think about the estranged video, man, when he comes out of the ocean and they built this, like it looked like they built a set and he came out of the, he rose out of the water and started to play a solo. Oh, I love that stuff. And it's the same thing when I start to plan out movies. I think about those classic films that always scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Uh, like a very strange movie that really gave me nightmares for a long time was the remake of Invaders from Mars, directed by Toby Hooper. That movie scared the shit out of me. David Gardner and the fucking, uh, the science teacher with the frogs, she ate a frog, right? And then his dad goes over the sand dunes and shows up and he's acting weird and strange and he's got this implant on the back of his neck. And what I love about that movie is that it's from the perspective of this kid, right? This young kid who looks around and goes, everybody's fucked up, my parents are fucked up. How, what, how do I handle this stuff? I love that movie. And I love the shots in that film. And I love the aesthetic of that film. So that being said, today's episode is a huge one for me. Because today on our show, I am talking to a man, to a guy who single-handedly has created most of the visuals that influence all of my work. It's, it's amazing. And I, it's astonishing to me that I didn't connect the dots, that I didn't realize how much stuff that this guy's done. Now, if you haven't guessed it already, you're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you guys? What's happening? What's new? I'm in a great fucking mood today. I literally just got off a call with some pre-pro for my movie that I'm not allowed to talk about, but the call went well. Let's just say that. The call is going well, and it further solidifies the fact that the research that I'm doing and all this homework that I've done during COVID is gonna pay off. I am a happy motherfucker today. I am so pumped about the future, oh, and I can't wait to start talking about it with you guys. But I'm also excited today because I did the research, right? I'm always on Instagram, and I'm always looking around. And follow me on Instagram, by the way, 
at Mike Petchy on Instagram or at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. And you'll see the people that I'm posting about. You'll see the stuff that I'm obsessed about, the stuff that I'm eating, the stuff that we talk about on the show. And it's a great place to send suggestions for guests on the show. Now, that's a great jumping point because I got a suggestion from a listener of the show, one of you fans, and I started to dig deep. And what happens is, is I go on a rabbit hole of just hunting for people that I find interesting. And then oftentimes there's suggestions. And then you find folks that are interesting that are following folks that are interesting. And so you go even further down that rabbit hole. And I stumbled across today's guest. Now, I'm ashamed to say it, I didn't know who he was at first. Somebody that was interesting was following him. And I looked at his description. And in his description, it said, the cinematographer for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So right off the bat, you've got me. I'm hooked, I'm in. And then as I kept reading, he's also the cinematographer for Guns N' Roses November Rain, for Guns N' Roses Estranged. And I went, what? It's one of those moments where the, the lines are connected, right? And you go, holy shit. The guy who shot the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre shot these. Then, of course, like you guys are doing right now, you're going to be on IMDb. So here it is. Type in on your phone or on your computer or however you can get your hands to it, even if you have to pause the episode. Go to IMDb and type in Daniel Pearl. Daniel Pearl, right? Because this is what I did. And you go there and you see the, the top list and you go, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, interesting. What? He actually shot the remake as well? How many years later was that? He did the remake? That looks completely different than the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, fascinating, let's continue. What? Mariah Carey videos? What? George Michael? The list of music videos is staggering. Michael Jackson, Shania Twain, Britney Spears. <laughs> and I'm on the top of the list. In sync, bye bye bye. For a lot of you uh, young listeners out there, like Gina, who loves In Sync, uh, let's go to the bottom of the list, shall we? Let's work our way up the other direction. The Police, Cool in the Gang, Genesis, Billy Idol, Thompson Twins, U2, Sticks, Air Supply, Wham, Lionel Richie, Cindy Lauper. Can you see how ridiculous this list is? And now we're getting into the 90s. And the 90s is when I was up every day watching MTV quietly downstairs while my parents didn't know because I was grounded and I wasn't supposed to and trying to cram in as many music videos before I had to go for the walk to school. And let's see what happens here in the 90s. Oh, I don't know. How about In Vogue, right? How about Bon Jovi? No big deal. How about Van Halen, Pound Cake? Run around for Van Halen. Guns N' Roses, Don't Cry. My God, the list is insane. Brian Adams, Damn Yankees, Bruce Springsteen, Tesla, Jesus Christ, Michael Jackson again, Megadeth Sweating Bullets. You guys know I'm a metal fan and I grew up a metal fan. Meatloaf, I would do anything for love. That video was directed by Michael Bay. I always assumed that that look was Michael Bay, but now that I've done the connection between the look of that video and the look of the Guns N' Roses videos, this is all Daniel's work. Boys to Men. Holy shit. Garth Brooks. Rolling Stones. I'm, 
I know. I, I, fuck you. I'm not even going to. I'm going to continue reading this list. Boys to Men again. More Michael Jackson. TLC. It's ridiculous. This guy single-handedly is responsible for the look of 90s music videos. How can I... How can I not be excited about today's episode? How could you not be excited about today's episode? For a couple reasons. For me, it's an accident. It's the fact that I found this guy looking for someone else, and I was like, cool, Texas Chainsaw DP? I'm down. That movie's so fucking great. And then this list comes up. And then I started to dig around a bit, and I looked at different interviews. And he's talked about Texas Chainsaw a lot. So guess what? I'm not going to do so on this episode. If you want to see all the crazy stories about how Texas Chainsaw was made and how he came up with the amazing low angle shot that follows the girl in the tight jean shorts underneath the swing. He has all those, those you can find all those online. We are not getting into that today. I am jumping deep into the man who has created the visuals for almost every genre of music videos for the 90s and the 2000s, early 2000s. So strap yourselves in. I cannot be more fucking excited about this. <laughs> uh, so that being said thank you guys for tuning in thank you guys for being fans of the show I've been doing a lot of polls lately online and you guys have been giving great feedback uh, and I'm listening man I'm trying to find you bigger and better guests I'm trying to find a level of just pure joy and this is the business right you've heard me talk about this on other episodes where it's bipolar where you're down and you're fucking depressed and then you're up you're catching me on an up. I'm on an up right now. I'm going to try to stay on this up for as long as I can for the next few episodes. So strap yourselves in. I don't want to delay it any further. I hope today's talk is going to be epic. I'm going to ask him every fucking question that I've ever had when it comes to these music videos. And I'm going to tire him out. <laughs> so get ready for the brand new epic episode of In Love With The Process. Daniel, I'm excited to have you on your show. Thanks for being here, man. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, as I briefly said before we went through all sorts of technical difficulties with Zencaster, um, I was briefly saying that I'm a huge fan of your work. And as I uh, stumbled across uh, the fact that you had done the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I did some more research and I'm like, oh my God, you've shot almost every music video that has ever influenced my career, <laughs> influenced my childhood. <laughs> like the, the, the credit list on IMDb is staggering for the stuff that you've done. So I'm so excited to have you on the show, dude. Well, thank you very much. So that's a, kind of an old credit list as well and uh, hasn't been updated, but uh, I don't actually do that many music videos anymore. But I think the, the one that I'm proud of most recently is Ed Sheeran Thinking Out Loud. That was a few years back. Oh, yes. Of course, Mariah Carey's uh, the re reboot of uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, which we did uh, with the director, Joseph Collin, 25 years after the first original release of the film. <laughs> that is so cool, man. Like, all right, let me just jump right into it, because I've seen plenty of interviews of you talking about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I'm obsessed with that movie and that work, but I really want to 
to dive in deeper into your catalog of stuff because honestly i could do two episodes with you with the amount of stuff that i that i've seen that i'd love um uh, but let me go let, let's start from the beginning here it looks like the first real big project that you had done was the original texas chainsaw massacre and then you were working on films for that point what made you transition into music videos like what was the jump for you well you know interestingly enough uh from the very first films I ever made, uh, they were they were to track to music tracks, uh, and um, that's just sort of uh, was a natural place for me to go when it came time to make my first film in in uh, film school. Um, when I was a sophomore at the University of Texas, uh, I entered into their film program mm -hmm. and uh, made my first film. It was called uh, Rock and Roll Star, and it was cut to the birds. So you want to be a rock and roll star. Um, <laughs> It's, it's funny, I just had it transferred over again, but, uh, but to I had it digitized recently and um, was watching it. And it's, it's quite an impressive piece. In fact, it was the first film I ever made, and it was televised nationally on PBS. Um, it, wow. It, 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 is, it is considered by some people to be the first music video ever made. Um, but anyhow, uh, it's, so the, the marriage of music and, and imagery, images sort of natural for me because I'm very much a shooter. You know, I'm not a writer. I'm not a director. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my thing is about images. And, you know, of course, I want to move the story along, contribute to the telling of the story with my imagery. But first and foremost, I think in terms of image, images. And so it's sort of a natural uh, partner for me since it is a, uh, you know, sound, sight and sound medium. Uh, I need sound in order to put my something to put my pictures to, and um, you know music is is the perfect thing uh, for me. So, um, but to uh, to more directly answer your question, um, in uh, nineteen excuse me in eighty two mm -hmm. uh, in the early days of music of MTV uh, it was late eighty two I believe it was late eighty two when MTV was first coming out. Uh, a director named Russell Mulcahy, who absolutely was the guy at the time, the top director in music videos. Uh, he was doing all the great, you know, uh, Billy Joel videos and uh, Duran Duran yeah. and on and on and on. And um, uh, Russell uh, was a huge fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And as the story goes, um, he was uh, shooting one day uh, in Los Angeles and was displeased at how it was going. I'm not sure exactly why. Uh, and was storming out of the studio. And as he, as he walked out of the studio, turned in the doorway, turned back and said, if you want me to come back here, get me the fucking guy that shot Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> and um, I guess about an hour later, my phone rang. And uh, the, they said, is, is this Daniel Pearl? I said, yes, it is. They go, the Daniel Pearl who shot the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> I said, yes, it is. And they said, well, um, how soon can you come to the Chateau Mormont? Uh, Russell McKay, he would like to interview you for shooting his next music video. Um, <laughs> I was aware of Russell's work uh, because uh, at that time, uh, music videos were being shown as a filler on our, our, our original film channel we had here called the Z Channel. Oh. And uh, so I was aware of Russell's work and his music videos. And so I was very excited about the opportunity to go to work with him. Uh, I went to work with him uh, for um, a piece for Supertramp called It's Raining Again. Yep. Um, after that, we followed it up with Duran Duran, The Reflex. But uh, in between then, he took me to uh, those. 
uh, he took me to a party and basically it was a, uh, it was a party that was going on at the, uh, the, uh, sunset marquee actually on, on sunset Boulevard, just off sunset Boulevard. And, um, and he, uh, uh, he uh, introduced me, presented me to all all the other English directors that were there, <laughs> and uh, right away I went to work for uh, Steve Barron and Godlene Cream and Brian Grant and, and on and on. Oh. Uh, so it was quite quite uh, and quite a lot of fun for me. It was you know it was a very interesting time. Uh, it was a time to be very innovative. In fact, uh, innovation was demanded, and um, so. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very pr- appreciative of, of Russell and, and doing that for me. And of course, there's a place where I blossomed. I mean, I won the first ever MTV Moonman for cinematography and, you know, I've won uh, quite a few awards in that genre and uh, had a great ride there. You probably have questions about it. Oh, for he- hell yeah, man. I mean, because I've done a few music videos of my own and I've done MTV stuff and, and, I'm telling you, I would consistently, whenever I'm designing a video, I would always go back to the videos that, as a kid in the 90s, I was just obsessed with. And it, going through the list of your credits, you've designed the look, in one way or another, of a lot of the videos from that time period, especially like the the rock videos. I mean, just just the Guns N' Roses stuff alone. Uh-huh. is is amazing and i have so many questions about uh those videos um how did uh how did that happen for you was it was it had you worked with that director before who did those andy morhan well, believe it or not i did a music video uh i think it was um for d trapman was the director for um the thompson twins uh, you take me up oh, okay okay and uh Joe Morahan was a wardrobe stylist on that. And she, after working together, she very strongly recommended me to her husband, Andy Morahan, who was just actually sort of starting to get his career going. And so uh, I hooked up with Andy and we shot probably well over 60 videos together over the years. <laughs> and so, um, you know, Guns N' Roses, I mean, I was this guy in, 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 in the States. He had a guy in London, and, and, and although did, they did fly me over to London to shoot for him on occasion. Uh, but um, uh, like I said, we did a lot of work. And so when he, when he landed a Guns N' Roses account, um, you know, it was logical that I would shoot for him. Now, how did the how did the relationship with you two work? Was he designing all the shots, or did you design the shots? Was he involved with the camera? Are you involved with the camera? How did it work out? Uh, well, uh, interestingly, um, he more or less let me set the shots. We did talk about you know I need a wide shot here or a medium shot or a close up. He'd say what it was, but then I would I would set the shot and uh, you know um, and he you know I, I I don't even remember our initial. You know, we did so many videos together. I don't even remember our early days together. And he was pretty much a novice at, the, at that time, too. So I think uh, yeah, I probably had a lot of freedom mm-hmm. working with him. And I know absolutely lighting-wise, uh, it was total up, up to me to give it a look. And, uh, of course, uh, I was always out to try and do something different. I mean, you know, somebody asked me one time, did you guys, did you guys break a lot of, you know, did you guys uh, burn a lot of bridges uh we didn't burn them. We fucking blew them up, man. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was all about doing something that was different and unique. Yeah. And in fact, one of the first things I'd ask is, you know, I want to do something that's never been done before. That was often a request. And, you know, that was, 
I enjoyed that. I mean, that was that was a wonderful place to be. Um, consequently, I'm you know I'm I'm considered the, the founder of many many uh, techniques that have been taken over from taken from music video, brought over into commercial and feature, ultimately into feature work um, techniques that we used. I believe it. I believe it, man. I totally do. And so with the, here's why I asked that question, because I, if it's you that did it, you single-handedly changed the way I see rock star lead guitarists. Like the way that Slash (laughs) was shot in those videos so you have okay so you have i'll tell you right now slash kicking his way out of a church and and coming out into the front and doing a solo with a rotating helicopter and the his posturing and the but, lens but, choices on that that made it, me it, want to become a music video director it, it, it's i mean it's funny that you mentioned that because i need to post that on, on uh, instagram because it's it's considered by many people to be perhaps the greatest lead guitar videos uh performance of all time yeah um, yeah <laughs> and it, as you're right it is it is where there are three we're shooting with three devices individually of course because they would shoot film each other uh one we had a steady cam and uh that was you know a, a great way to shoot shoot it and give it you know a nice feeling and good organic feeling to it uh we also had a um a techno crane which is a, a telescopic crane with a remote head which I operated that that device, uh-huh. and uh, and thirdly was a helicopter, uh, <laughs> with a helicopter operator, uh, special guy that was in that, so that all three could be ready to go. Although uh, we only shot with one at a time, uh, we were we were able to get them all three in and out of there quickly. Uh, so um, and there <laughs> there are times when sometimes it's even sort of you know I was there, so I know which shots are which, but. Some of the helicopter shots are incredibly close and really <laughs> scary at the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, Slash is um, Slash is quite a guy. I've had to, I've had the pleasure to, to film Slash, and of course the Seven Guns of Roses video that I did, and also one uh, Michael Jackson video that most people don't even know about called a song called "Give In to Me." Yeah. Um, but uh, Slash is a um, consummate professional and you know it's funny uh it, it possibly uh, one of the reasons that slash gets so much attention is that he's much better about being on set than than uh, axel was <laughs> i believe it <laughs> axel was always uh several hours up to half a day late um and so uh you know you, that gave you an opportunity to concentrate on everybody else in the band for a while anyhow oh what a funny side effect of that uh yeah, man, just Slash's persona in that video, and then in the following videos, uh, I remember I remember being a kid and going to high school dressed with a flannel and a handkerchief hanging out of my back pocket because of the shot of him climbing up on the piano and playing on the piano. Uh-huh. And then uh, I think my favorite video is probably the estranged video, which is uh-huh. it, like the scale of that. It was like, how can you scale up from November Rain? And then you get the estranged video, and you've got how many sequences of Slash? You have Slash like floating down the Sunset Strip, and then you have Slash coming out of out of an ocean. So how, how did you get how did you get him sort of drifting down Sunset Strip? Uh, drifting down Sunset Strip, he's uh, he's actually up on a. Uh, if you see if you see that shot, you'll notice that you don't quite get to see below his feet, and uh, what's below his feet. And um, he's actually on a dolly. We're just on tracks, and we're just 
totaled the dolly along the tracks there. <laughs> so, so cool. Uh, instead of the camera being on a dolly, he's on a dolly. Maybe we had two dollies. I don't actually remember if I was also tracking with him or not. I think you were. I, yeah, I should have been. I was going to say the shot would be more effective if I was. <laughs> That's amazing. And then after further in the track after yeah. axel goes through his craziness and gets on a, an oil tanker and jumps off an oil tanker it goes into this ocean <laughs> That's I know, that was pretty wild you know we went out and the um <laughs> there's a lot of funny stories from that but yeah uh that was a, a real live oil tanker wow and, and they told me they said uh that we we're moving and if you want to turn it around it takes a half an hour to turn it around. <laughs> and I said, well, no, I'm not going to turn it around. We're just going to one, just going one direction. I just set one line of orientation to the sun that I liked. And we just shot in that direction. Um, but uh, at the same time, that's when we were on, when, when the camera was on, on deck uh, of the tanker. Yep. Now later in the day, and we all had to take, we all chopped, I believe we, well, we must've boated out there. We were well out into the, um, you know, we were at least 10, 15 miles out to the Gulf of Mexico. Jesus. And uh, we uh, had a lot of shots to get. And we had several boats of ours. And we had what is traditionally what you have is a, is a marine coordinator. And that person takes, com takes command of all the vehicles. And no one's allowed to get on or off a boat. A boat's not allowed to pull away from if it's, if it's tied to another boat, it can't pull away without going through being cleared by the Marine coordinator. And you can't get on or off of a boat without getting permission of the Marine coordinator. Huh. Well, this is all great and fine and very safe. Uh, but however, we were not getting the shots we needed. So at one point, Andy goes to me, Daniel, come on, grab the AC and a camera and fuck it. And we jumped on a boat and said, all right, <laughs> told the guy to pull away. The guy was like, I can't. After he goes, I'm the fucking director. Take the boat. We commandeer the boat. We went out and we just started shooting. And that's how we got a lot of the stuff that that uh, a lot of the material that we got was that we just went fuck it. You know, we were just be, we were just so safe and careful that nothing was getting done. Yeah. And um, you know, Andy just went, no, no, no. I got to get these shots, man. And so off we went. And uh, I don't remember us getting in trouble for it, although we must have. But uh, I don't, I don't recollect it. But I think we we're just so happy about the shots we got that we probably didn't give a fuck about being in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, you know, you, as you know, you're a filmmaker yourself, you know, that yeah. when you're getting great shots, nothing else matters at all, really. Well, and I can only imagine how, the chaos that comes with, you know, I can't, first off, I can't imagine the scale of, of a video like that, because when I got into the music video world, which was like in the early 2000s, the scale was just, was drastically dropping. So what was the budget for? Well, it's, for it's, it's funny, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> what's funny is even Axel thought that um, Axel first of all there's an intercut with a concert that was shot uh, wide shots only yeah. in in Germany right an outdoor summer concert that where they performed the song live yep uh, I then matched that lighting and shot all the close-ups everything in everything in close on the band most everything that was shot in fact everything that's used is shot looking out at the audience, cameras on stage looking back out. And everything looking in uh, is is our, our work that we, we did. Um, 
in or most everything that wasn't you know the big the big stuff but the, uh, so the close-ups did you do those on in like a studio after or did you do them up in the they're studio done in, they're actually done in the studio okay 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 uh and so you know that was a a, a a a night exterior concert that we shot the pickups the inserts from uh in the studio huh. uh, in addition to that uh you had the sequence that you're that you're talking about it was slash um you have some the stuff on the on the boat yeah uh you have the underwater sequences that were shot both in uh in the, in the bahamas uh at a uh, dolphin preserve uh, <laughs> and also one pickup shot of axel that we needed uh that we got uh in a tank in in uh universal studios jesus which is a very interesting story, the Universal Studios one. Oh, oh, oh. Every time you say it's a very interesting story, I'm curious. <laughs> um, it came up that, um, well, it's not really about filmmaking, but in a way it is. But, yeah, it's uh, fine. I, I'll try to tell a brief version of it. Uh, we, we, we wanted to do a pickup, and um, they, uh, they you know, organized it and sent me out to, to Universal Studios. I go, yeah, I can make the shot here. It'll work fine. I have a a tank there and would, would put Axel down on the bottom of the tank and, you know, have him with a diver. We had taught him earlier, uh, uh, for don't cry. We had him underwater. So, um, that's, uh, we taught him to, you know, to be able to breathe off of uh, aqua lung. We didn't turn him into a scuba diver, but we, you know, somebody had was down next to him and had a, had a, you know, a regulator. He could, he could, he could clear it and he could breathe off of it. Uh, so anyhow, um, so we were able to get him down the bottom of this tank, and I was down there. Where I, I shoot my own underwater stuff. In fact, scuba diving is a passion for me and my wife and cool. whole family. But uh, anyhow, um, we uh, when it came time to show up to get the shot, um, he he didn't have the the matching bandana. <laughs> he had somehow misplaced that bandana, and uh, when we asked him about it, well. Don't you have another one? Can't you get another one? He goes, it's a one-of-a-kind bandana. It was given to me. I think it was also at a gig in Berlin that it was given to him. Maybe that's why he was wearing it. Maybe it was given to him at that gig that that was filmed. But anyhow, he goes, it's a one-of-a-kind. You know, a fan can't get through it to me, and I always liked its colors. It had had some blue and some red and into red, you know, pale red and some blue into it. It's, it's nice and different from most bandanas. It really didn't look much like any other bandanas I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Well, we couldn't shoot because we didn't have the matching bandana. So that was a $75,000 day down the drain. <laughs> uh, wow. I, I went home and um, I fortunately, there's a picture of me on my Instagram account. So it's, it's Deep Pearl DP. And if you go there, you'll see the story of, uh, from also from Estranged, because we shot part of it also, I forgot, in a, in a wave tank in Escondido down near the, the uh, California-Mexican uh, border. Uh, part of the stuff, a close-up with Axel in what appears to be the ocean, uh, is, is, in, is, is on a tank in Escondido, uh, a wave tank that's making the waves. And, of course, I lit it to make it look like a stormy day of the ocean, and I had a sky backdrop that, uh, that was the background for it. Is this the, yeah. Now, did you use this same set for the sequence where Slash comes rises out oh. of the water? No, that's done on a big tank. Oh my god! And, uh, yeah, no, it's massive. I, we had days and days and days and days on that job. I mean, it was, you know, without a doubt, certainly the 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 most 
days of shooting and the most, you know, uh, spread out uh, music video I ever did in terms of tra traveling the world. Oh my God. Uh, get it done. Um, but anyhow, uh, so they, they said, well, we'll get an artist to, to draw, to try and draw this thing. It's going to be, you know, bandanas have this paisley pattern. It's quite intricate. You know, it's, it's really, um, block printing nightmare uh and how how somebody's going to draw it with sharpies we didn't know but anyhow that's <laughs> that was the best solution they had well i came back home mentioned to my wife who had done wardrobe styling for a western that was being shot to be shot in in australia and she bought all this vintage stuff that was from the time period it was from the 18 1870s i believe so she had all this uh, had matched all this stuff and she had a surplus of bandanas and she gave me three bandanas. Uh, I showed her a picture of me and Axel that was, uh, that I had on the from us being in the tank. It's a, it's a beautiful eight by 10 that I had that I really liked it. Axel, Axel's finishing the cigarette. I've just finished mine. I'm, I'm pulling my mask down. I'm about to go back into the tank and get the camera. We're going to do some more shooting in this mm -hmm. picture. And um, so I showed it to her. I said, she goes, Oh, I gave you one just like that. And I went, what? And I went, and I had a guy working for me and he needed something to cover. We were doing something very dusty with sheetrock and he needed something to cover his, his hair. And I gave him this bandana and it was so dirty at the end of the day, I let him keep it. But I had to go out and I found this guy in a bar on Santa Monica Boulevard <laughs> in, um, in Hollywood and said, man, you still got that bandana? He goes, yeah, I do, but not with me. I said, I need it. I need it badly. So I took him to the place where he was staying, and I, I got the bandana. Now, there also, this. There, in addition to that one, there was a one that was principally yellow and one that was principally a light green. Yep. Right? Yep. So I decided, well, what the fuck? I don't wear these bandanas. I'll bring the, uh, the other two bandanas with me in case Axel wants them. And so I didn't even tell them. We were just always planning or meeting up the next day to try it again with the hand-drawn bandana. I walked in, saw the hand-drawn bandana, said, that won't do, took the matching bandana out of my pocket and tossed it down. And they went, oh, and, and the, the, the associate producer, she went, oh, my God, you stole fucking Axel's bandana. I can't fucking believe you did that. It cost us $75,000. What the fuck? Ah, she's screaming at me. And I quietly took out the yellow and the green one that were the exact same pattern, right? <laughs> And said, well, no, actually, you owe me an apology. In fact, I might charge you $75,000 for this bandana if you don't shut up. And here's the, here's the yellow one and the green one in case Axel wants them. I, didn't, I stole them from him, too. I said, no, I happen, to have, I happen to, by outrageous coincidence, match the one-of-a-kind bandana. And so we were able to get the shot, and therefore Axel has an underwater close-up that he would not have had otherwise. <laughs> Unreal. How long do you how long do you think that shoot was? It went, well, obviously, it went on for several days, and 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 you know, for me to have had the picture, that pickup must have come. I don't know how much later the, the close-up of him <laughs> must have been quite a bit later, but. I mean, you know, we would travel to, to we'd go down, scout something, and then we'd shoot it, and then we'd, you know, travel to, uh, you know, to Galveston, and, and then from, I mean, to Corpus Christi, I think, or maybe it was Galveston. Maybe we left out of Galveston. 
uh, maybe it was Corpus. I don't actually remember. Probably it was Corpus. And, uh, you know, uh, but I probably went on for probably scattered over two weeks or more. It's crazy. I'm pretty sure that the close up was a pickup that happened considerable bit later. Uh, there must have been no rush to get the video out um, in those days. I, they must not have. They must have not have released the, the album yet, or this released it as a single or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know that I had a picture on my wall that was from part of the shoot, and that's that, that's unusual that that would happen. I'm sorry that I can't put a finger on it, but yeah, I fine. would think that that you know somebody had to take the photo. Get the, get it processed in those days. It was film only, no digital photography. Uh-huh. Get a print made, and then send me the print, and then me to, to get around to putting the print on my wall. So there, it must have been, I would say, a good month or maybe more uh, before we made that shot. Unreal. So, so those of you listening who haven't done music videos in the world that I that I had a career in, it's like <laughs> you have a day or two days. So the idea that you had weeks and the idea that you're doing this stuff with the tanker and the safety crews and my God, I remember being a kid watching this stuff going, I want a career as a music video director and watching those those videos. And it hasn't been the same since. Really, it well, has been the same know, thing. You know, thank you, thank you very much. I'm I'm very fortunate. You know, um, at one point, um, MTV did a show of the the 20 most expensive videos ever made, and uh, I shot seven of them. <laughs> you know, very very privileged guy to be have those opportunities. I mean, my life I, I've really been blessed with golden opportunities, and fortunately, you know, when I've when I've been able to go to bat at those those times, I've killed it. You know, I've hit I've hit home runs when I needed to. And um, that's worked out, but I am forever eternally grateful uh, for having given those opportunities to, to hit those home runs. Well, dude, so, you, as you, you know, as a filmmaker, and, unless you're given an opportunity, uh, and in music video, it's about a great track. Yeah, you know, you get a great track like Billie Jean. You know, they told me when I, before I shot Billie Jean, I said, "Don't fuck this up. This is going to be a huge track." I said, "Well, I never intend to fuck anything up." <laughs> uh, and um, Similar thing with uh, police. Every breath you take, uh, they told me ahead of time this is going to be gigantic. So uh, make sure you do a good job. I, 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 totally. Yeah, my, to- my typical response is I always do the best job possible, no matter what the product the project is. But you're 100 percent right about it needing to be a great track. Like we did a yeah. video uh, years ago for Meshuga, and it was this bleed, and we did an okay job with it as directors. But that video has got it's got millions of hits because the track is fucking great. Yeah. So like the track really guides whether or not you're going to get a lot of views whether or not you're going to get a lot of eyes on also it. I, you know i think you know and see if you agree with me i think that a good track just creates a good vibe yeah and when, when you got that going it's just it's just all easy everybody's happy smiling you know it, look a good track what's one of the things about a good track it's easy to dance to right yep. so if it's easy to dance to it's easy to shoot to you know and easy to edit to so uh, meaning that's got natural rhythms and natural breaks and natural transitions natural trans uh, you know um you know natural progressions all right you know the deal it's time to do some reads it's time to do some ad reads for the show and if you've been listening to the show, you know that these ad reads are generally more than just, hey, I'm reading advertisements. 
Actually, to be 100% truthful and honest with you, none of my sponsors send me scripts. I always ask them to. Would you guys like me to read some scripts and some details? And like, no, we love the way that you bullshit on things. <laughs> so I guess it's working, right? All right. So first up, good friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the market for a brand new computer, if you're a video editor, if you are a sound mixer, if you're a colorist uh, and you need to build a new system, that old system that gives you the pinwheel of death, not enough power, not enough horsepower. And honestly, if you want to be very economical about how you spend your cash, let's be real about it. You're like, let's put the cash towards the machine, not towards the advertising, not towards the unboxing experience. Let's put it towards the machine. Uh, I felt that way years ago, and so I did the hard work. I hunted for a company that builds PCs. I wanted to go back to PCs. I like the idea of working in a marketplace where there's a heavy competition from all sorts of manufacturers, which allows the prices to stay low. Even when they come out on the market with something new, the prices plummet really quick. Uh, but the problem is, is I don't want to spend the time researching all this stuff. I don't want to have to build my own stuff because there's nothing worse than buying hardware that doesn't work, right? And it's like, man, I thought this fit in this motherboard and it doesn't. And, fuck. and so I did the work and found Puget Systems. They're a, a family-owned business, um, Upper Northwest. Uh, I love them so much. They actually put together custom-built PCs based upon the software that you're going to use. So like you can go to their website, choose a baseline package, and then they love to customize everything. So you can talk to them and say, here's, here's what's going on. Here's what my, my budget is. And I'm trying to build this computer that breaks a lot of the rules of the other computers out there. And I'm trying to do it on a budget. And I want a machine that's going to be upgradable. So that way, in the future, like five years from now, maybe I just pull the graphics card, right? So what is like the, the new cutting edge motherboard that'll last for a while, right? So all these questions you can ask them. And they'll put that stuff together. And they have the answers because they benchmark test all this gear. They run it through rigorous trials on all these different software platforms so they know what works and they know what's worth the money. They're a great company, a great resource. They support artists. Check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com. Also supporting the show, as always, are our good friends over at Quasar Science. If you're in the market right now, for some new lighting stuff. Maybe you got that uh, tax, but you did your taxes, you got a good return. Maybe you're getting that uh, government incentive right now and you want to spend some cash. Uh, definitely look into some Quasar tubes. Go to quasarscience.com. There they'll sort of walk you through all the new stuff that's out in the market. And they're a company, they're a lighting company run by and created by actual lighting technicians. I've had the owner of the company on the show. We actually talk about how he came from a family of circus people. So he comes from circus and then went to movie stuff. It's a really fucking great episode. Go back and check it out. Um, but these guys know gear. They use them on set all the time. They know what annoys them about gear. Uh, they, they want it to be rugged. They want it to be true color. They want it to be reliable. And so they've created amazing LED tubes, bicolor LEDs, rainbow LEDs, uh, really great stuff. If you're uh, someone that wants to be a DP and you're listening to today's show um, and you're trying to build out your kit, definitely go check out Quasar Tubes. And for those that are, you know, working DPs that work with uh, gaffers all the time and put together packages, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Give me a high five. You know what's up. So anyway, go check them out. Go to QuasarScience.com. Also supporting the show, our sponsors for this year, 
Brand new guys, love these dudes, are dudes over at Movie Tees. That's M-O-V-I-T-E-E-S.com. Movie Tees, really great website that designs t-shirts based upon the corporations in the movies, the cult films that we loved growing up, right? So like Nakatomi Towers, there's a t-shirt for that. You know what movie that is. You know what I mean? Go to their website, click on their movie tab, and check out all the great t-shirts. And you'll go through and chuckle and be like, man, I forgot about that company. Man, I forgot about this movie. And if you buy these tees and you wear these tees, then the people that you work with, the people that you hang out with, are going to give you a nod. I can't say who I did a Zoom call with today, but when he saw the t-shirt today, he went, huh, Nostromo, huh? And I go, yep. So if you want a badge, you looking for a badge of honor for what a movie nerd you are about this industry, for how much you love this industry, go pick yourself up a great shirt over at Movie Tees. We have a promo code that will be running below this episode. Use our promo code and get money off. The tees are already affordable as it is, but you'll get a really sweet deal using our promo code below. So go check them out. Like I said, that's Movie Tees, M-O-V-I-T-E-E-S.com. Also supporting the show, our good friends over at Dale Strong Knives. And I like promoting these guys, even though this isn't a food episode, I feel like it's relevant. If you've been following my work, if you go to MikePetchy.com, you'll see all the commercials and ads that I've done for Dale Strong. One of the reasons why I love doing those commercials is, is that their chef's knives are epic. They're epic to look at, they're beautiful to light. I really had a lot of fun working with these with this company and lighting these knives. And you know me, I like to be in the kitchen all the time. So does my doctor. My doctor's telling me to be in the kitchen less, okay? Uh, but if you're in the kitchen and you're working and you're looking to build your toolkit for your kitchen, the most essential thing is a chef's knife. I wanna see everybody that is doing their own recipes online, that is sending me recipes online, sending me pictures of the food that you're cooking. I wanna see a chef's knife in your hand. I don't wanna see you cutting through an onion with a fucking steak knife. Chef's knives are safer, they're sharper, and you can do all those little fancy cuts that you need. You can become really skilled at it. It's like. It's like being a samurai. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. Like your knife is 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 the is your Bible, right? Everything that you do, all the skills that you know in the kitchen transfer through a chef's knife. Go to dalestrong.com, check them out. We have a sweet promo code below. We'll get you a good deal on it. And I know a lot of people are like, man, but chef's knives are so expensive. You can get a banging chef knife on that website for 60 bucks and then you use our promo code and I love them. They're really great. So like I said, go to dalestrong.com and check it out. And if you want to continue to support the show without reaching into your own wallet, and you haven't done so already, sign up for a free trial at Audible. We have the link below the episode. I think it's Audible. Uh, I always do this. It's Audible trial backslash in love of the process. I don't know. The link is below. It's there. Sign up. Get 30 days for free if you haven't done so already on a different podcast. Uh, if this is your first time, sign up, get 30 days for free, get a free audiobook, get access to all their audio content on their website. Um, and then you're going to be hooked. Uh, every month that you stay subscribed to it, you get a credit, by the way. This is how it works. You get a credit to continue to get books. Now, if you cancel it, you can still read the books you downloaded. But if you stay with it, every month's fee gets you a book. So it's like it's, you're essentially buying a book a month, 
right? And if you don't use that credit for that month, they stack up. And what happens is, is it takes me over a month to get to a read. So I've got like three or four different credits stacked up. And then Audible has a bunch of different deals that they do. Like uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, they did like two books for one credit, three books for one credit. And there's some really great books there. And I've been reading a lot of, listening to a lot of new stuff right now. I'm actually pretty pumped with what's going on because Gina and I are doing this new sort of inspiration rhythm that we're trying out where we wake up in the morning about nine, go into the living room, make some cereal, some breakfast, or have some coffee, put on a vinyl, one of our vinyls that we listen to, and the amount of time it takes to play a vinyl, maybe two if it's a short one, uh, we just sort of sit there and we flip through inspirational books. I may read something on Audible, and we may go through some tabletop books. I'm actually reading this fascinating National Geographic right now on the origins of Christianity the origins of religions, which is fascinating. Um, so this all comes back to autumn. So like I was saying, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to take the time and make time to learn stuff, to become more versed in how the world works, become more versed in how to interact with strangers, become more versed in how to get more sleep. All this stuff I've done through autumn. You can do the same thing. So like I said, go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. I think that's what the link is below the episode. Sign up, 30 days for free. And if it turns out that you can't afford to continue this, the subscription, it's not a big deal. We still get paid. Shh, don't tell Audible. All right, guys. Uh, that's it. Let's get back into the obsession with Daniel. You know what's interesting, um, and doing the, because I completely agree with you 100% on the visual medium, and I started as a cinematographer, digital cinematographer for years, and I was shooting music videos, and that's how I got into directing. So, uh-huh. um, and what I find interesting about, at least with what we're talking about right now, so like with the, the Guns N' Roses stuff, your style that always appealed to me was like the really hot uh, moving backlights, and like the hot moving lights that you had through those videos, and I'm, I'm gonna stretch here. And I thought it was always fascinating as a kid watching it, where the beginning of the Milo video, I would do anything for love. Every time that started, I always thought that was another video from Guns N' Roses until the music uh-huh. started. Um, and that was directed by Michael Bay, correct? Wasn't that, that was Michael, Michael Bay? Bay yes. And then Michael Bay stuff all had that hot back moving lights thing. So like, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you influenced Michael Bay's lighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. I, I, it, it could be said that I influenced everybody's lighting. <laughs> um, and a lot of people have said that, you know, that, that, that I've certainly, you said it yourself when we started talking about music video. It's been said about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I, that I set the look of, of horror films with the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. And then everybody, um, when I was doing Alien versus Predator Requiem, uh, the brothers Strauss, uh, Colin, uh, and um, and and Greg, mm-hmm. uh, they, you know, I asked them at one point. Uh, we were up in Vancouver and they were going away for the weekend. They had to go come down to Los Angeles to do some casting on a movie. And I said, oh, is there anything you guys want me to watch while you're gone? And they go, yeah, watch the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They go, that motherfucker redefined the look of horror films. 
Yeah. And that, of course, that was me again. Dude, that this said a lot, and uh, you know, I'm 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 very very proud of the fact that I I do have a big following among cinematographers, particularly young cinematographers. Are uh, they like you said? A lot of people just growing up on my work. You know, I mean, it's just just what people saw every day. I mean, look, you you talk about being blessed. There is no bigger blessing than having your, and I hate it when I when I go into studios and I talk to people and they just don't give a fuck that I do music videos. Right. The, the, the power of the music video during the 90s and the power of MTV, they would play your work, knowing what your work is. They would play, what, two or three videos of your work 12 times a day on a channel right. that people were just consistently watching. Yes. So of course, of course you're an influence because we all grew up just enthralled with this. And it also helps that a lot of the videos you were doing were building icons and they were just incredibly iconic with the angles that you were sh shooting from, with the lighting decisions that were made, with the editing decisions that were made. It was just really great and inspiring shit, you know? Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's funny because the Brother Strauss, uh, you know, they, when they learned that I shot um, uh, Van Halen Hot for Teacher, they couldn't believe it. They go, what the fuck? I know. That was dude. my favorite video. We watched that every day. <laughs> you know, so there's just a lot of, you know, I hear that from so many people uh, that, you know, and, and I'm proud of that. I mean, it's, that's just, that's a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm glad that I, you know, I was able to, to carve that niche for myself. You know, I'm a bit of a nutty guy, you know, and so, you know, it, even I think back about my career and I think other people must wonder, well, if you shot, if the guy shot the Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he was 23 years old in 1973, mm -hmm. why didn't he have more of a, you know, why, why, why didn't I, I asked the question to myself, why didn't I have more of a music of a feature career than I've had? Although, you know, I've, I've done features, but nothing that's been, well, I would say nothing that's been received as well as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but that's only like a dozen films in history. Anyhow, that have that kind of, yeah. I mean, it's crazy how people still talk about that. People talk about that film more today, uh, 48 years after we made it, than they do about the films that won the Academy Awards in five, 10 years ago. It's crazy. I did. It's, I, I think horror has got such a huge influence. And especially that kind of DU, like the, the, the low budget horror filmmaking and the injury, the, like the the ability to come up with ideas on the spot and have to be thinking on your toes that it has informed the industry to the point where, you know, when you're talking to people with big budgets, they're just like, let's throw some money at it. And at the end of the day, you're just shaking a camera. You're just doing all those old school tricks right? that, that uh, legends like yourself really took, had the opportunity and had the balls to actually go, no, 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 fuck it. We're just going to do it this way. And it, it, it's obvious why you guys are still influencing especially in a world of mediocrity so like I, I get it dude i totally get it um but that being said what i was going to bring up what you did bring up which is a great transition is i couldn't believe because i didn't realize it either that you did the remake of texas chainsaw massacre yeah. and i remember um uh, watching that movie for the first time i've been i was in michael bay's offices i saw the full scale fucking leather face and the thing that I loved about that remake was the the fucking trailer for it 
was outstanding. Yeah. And the visuals in that trailer and the sound cutting in that trailer, and it literally influenced the way everybody cut horror trailers after that, you know? And it took it took the, yeah, I, I, you know, you're right about that because even he tried to, uh, you know, that was again for Michael Bay as executive producer. Uh, he's very involved with the trailer and the way that that was cut uh, and then used it again on, on when, when Marcus Nispel, who directed the remake, mm-hmm. and I teamed up again to do the remake of, uh, or not a remake, but the killer cut of Friday the 13th. Yes. For Platinum Dunes, for uh, Foreman Fuller, and for Michael Bay. And of course, that they used that, then that style of uh, trailer uh, to cut the, the Friday the 13th trailer, very much in the same style. Well, uh, let me ask this. Interestingly, I want to say one thing about it. Sure. Interestingly, they did borrow from the original the a sound that, 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 you know, they did, they did take that. I didn't do a very good job of reproducing the sound. But, yeah, but it's the famous, like, sound, the, is, which they yeah. used for the, it was like the flashbulb sound effect that they had exactly. done in the original. Exactly. And they used that again in the, in the trailer. Yes, they the did. Trailer for, the, for the remake. And the yeah. remake was great fun to do. Um, it's funny. I'm the only person who was back on that, right? Yeah. Uh, from the original. And uh, I said, this would be really boring if I'm sitting around going, on the original, on the original, you know, all day long. So I decided I'm never going to speak about it. I'm not going to talk about it at all. Now, Jessica Beale was very intrigued with the original. And um, with, with, her, with her assistant, uh, they would invite me uh, out to, uh, on the weekends uh, to go get barbecue and for me to tell stories about the original. Um, <laughs> you may have also seen a post I put up there recently on Instagram. Um, uh, with uh, Jonathan Tucker uh, totally knocked off my look from 1973 for his character uh, in in the film. uh, (laughs) But uh, beyond that, I mean, the only other mention was that Marcus, yeah, Marcus loved to show this picture because I had, you know, now I have, I'm hairless and I have a mustache and a goatee. And in those days I had a big Israel, big, big, you know, Big bush of hair yeah. and mutton chop sideburns and no must not, nothing on my well I couldn't grow a mustache I tried to but didn't have a mustache and really nothing would grow on my beard either uh, on my chin I should say so uh, but there's a picture of me you know this hair opposite of myself that Marcus Nispel found very humorous and he would show it around to people <laughs> so that's I just did a post recently about that on, on Instagram I've um, been following your Instagram and I'm loving it. So, well, thank you. well, of course, we're going to be, everybody's racing to it right now as we you speak. Know, about Instagram it. is fantastic, but, you know, it's a drag that we can't put soundtracks up. You know, we can't put, I'd like to do a lot more about my music videos. Yeah. But it always runs into a copyright issue. I know. I know. It's so, tough. Um, so <clears throat> let's get back into, well, okay. So here's what's interesting. So. The work that you did for the Texas Chainsaw remake and even the stuff that was in the uh, the Friday the Thirteenth, it was very remin- at least the lighting, the the lighting basics were very reminiscent of the stuff that you were doing back in the day. So like a lot of the Guns N' Roses moving light and hard hard light stuff. Where where did that come from with you? Is well, that from experimentation or was that from uh, research? Yeah, part of it is the style, you know. I mean, and and and. It's funny because I shoot all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, I'll shoot for hair commercial for L'Oreal. You know, I'll shoot, uh, <laughs> you know, 
you know, uh, many different kind of Christmas, you know, things from Mariah Carey and Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, you know, uh, Friday the 13th, for, you know, so I'm a very varied guy. So to some degree, my style is, is sort of what, what it is that I like in, 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 way, in terms of lighting and contrast ratios and, and angles of light and quality of light and, and, and to some degree, color of light. So, um, but, uh, Going, you know, drawing upon, I want to tell you a story because when I showed up, uh, I had been shooting a beer commercial in, in the Ukraine, in Kiev, mm -hmm. and came back from there to Austin, Texas for the remake. And um, when I got, sat down with the first time, really, other than briefly on the phone with the, with, with the producers, uh, Foreman Fuller, and, uh, and with Marcus Nispel, and they go, uh, all right, so let's talk about what this is going to look like. Now we're we're assembled in Austin, Texas. We're about to go, you know, start scouting locations and everything else about putting a crew together and just getting the whole film ready. Mm -hmm. And uh, they go, so uh, it's going to be gritty and grainy like the original, right? And I go, well, gritty and grainy. You want to shoot sixteen millimeter? And they go, are you fucking nuts? I said, this is Michael Bay's first Platinum Dunes production. You think we're going to call him up and go, oh yeah, by the way, Michael, we're shooting in the sixteen millimeter. I said, well, good, because I had just learned that the remake was also taking place in 73. I had always assumed, even when I read the script, that it was going to be 2002 when we shot it, right? And that there was going to be an Asian and a black person in the van. And there was going to be, you know, 2002 soundtrack so they could get a new soundtrack album out. And mm -hmm. I just thought the whole thing would be updated. And they go, no, no, it's still, it's still, it's still 73. And I go, well, then you certainly don't need to remake the same time period with the same look because there's nothing wrong with the original film. And they go, well, what are you saying? I said, well, I said, our boss right here now, Marcus Nisbell, very well known for his work in music videos. Yep. Michael Bay, very well known for his work in music videos. Myself and 15, 20 other people in the last 20 years uh, have totally uh, elevated the visual aesthetic of the demographic audience for this film. Mm -hmm. They are the MTV generation. And I said, so this will be Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the MTV generation. <laughs> they all went, they turned to Marcus and they go, well, what does he mean? And Marcus said, we're just gonna have to watch and see, aren't you? <laughs> and uh, and that's, uh, that's what came about there. Uh, Marcus had to fight really hard for, for me to uh, shoot that for him. I was shooting everything he was doing at that time in his career, and he was considered the top guy in, absolutely in commercials and, and very much so in music videos as well at that time mm -hmm. and um, had never done a feature film. And so uh, it was logical enough progression that they asked him to shoot the film and also logical enough progression that they don't want to give a first-time director his cinematographer. And they do that for a reason, is that in case they need to take control of the picture, they they want their cinematographer, not the director's cinematographer. Yeah. You know, so, and no matter, this is an unfortunate thing because a lot of directors have built a reputation, you know, in a, in a close close team with a, with a cinematographer and a production designer as well sometimes. Um, uh, and we did have Greg Blair, our production designer, uh, that that we used all the time did come along with us as well, um, but 
Uh, you know, so it's often they don't want to give a, a young a director doing his first feature his own his his cinematographer. So that was that, that was a big part of it. Uh, also, my wife had had a falling out with Michael Bay when he yelled "fuck" in front of her daughter when we were doing a meatloaf video. But yeah. um, anyhow, uh, so that there was that going on, uh, and um, when they when it came down that oh excuse me. Uh, one of the other things that Marcus knew was that I would not knock myself off. He knew me well enough. We'd been, we were like brothers and we'd been working together probably 15 years at that time. Yeah. And he knew me inside out and knew that I'm the one guy who's not going to try and copy his own film. Right. And and just a year before redone psycho and matched it shot for shot. And it was a disaster. Oh right, because that was the that was the uh, what's his name movie that directed that. That was uh, Gus Van Sant, right? We did the remake of Second. Maybe it was, I think it was Gus that did it. But anyhow, it's the one the one black mark or the one red mark on his career. But anyhow, a black mark on the career, I guess you call it, because uh, it was everybody hated it. Uh, uh, I didn't even see it; it was so hated. But um, interestingly, part of this when Marcus kept insisting that I that I shoot. Um, I shoot the film, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they kept, no, 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 no. And then uh, at one point, they because Marcus keeps insisting, they go, okay, send us a reel. I go, send you a reel? What the? F-? I go, okay, I'll send you a reel. So I put on a, a Divinals video, uh, I Touch Myself is the name of the song, that Michael Bay directed, yeah. that I shot for him. Uh, the meatloaf video, I do anything for love, but I won't do that. Also directed by, by Michael Bay, uh, Fuji's ready or not directed by Marcus Nispel mm-hmm. and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's what I gave him for a sample. Reason. <laughs> 24 hours later, Marcus called up laughing, just like you were only laughing even harder than you. Right? He, was, he goes, Daniel, you have no idea. I came in, they called me in for to, to sit down and watch the reel so we could talk about it, right? And he goes, and we go into, and this is, you know, 2002, right? Yep. We go into Bay's office. He's got the biggest television screen I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, <laughs> 2002 is probably a 72 inch or something pretty big, right? Yep. Uh, so, anyhow, uh, he goes, and so up comes the, the, the Divinals video. And, 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 and Michael goes, Oh, Marcus, he goes, this is great. I forgot about this. This is the, I got my first ever, um, directing nomination from MTV. First nomination I ever got for an award for a film at all, uh, (laughs) from this video. And Marcus goes, Oh, that's good. And then comes the, um, up comes the meatloaf video. I do a thing for love. He goes, Oh, Marcus, he says, he goes, you know, when Bruckheimer saw this film, this video called me up and said, look, man, you should be directing feature films. You got it, right? Yep. So Marcus goes, that's good, you know. And then uh, up, then up comes uh, Fuji's Ready or Not, and he goes, Marcus. He goes, oh my god. He goes, when we saw this, this is what made me decide you should be directing feature films. <laughs> At which point, Marcus goes, well, there seems to be a pattern here. So why are we fucking around? Um, so, so they kind of came around at that point. Next thing you know, I get a phone call from Brad Fuller. And uh, Brad goes, well, listen, uh, you know, um, okay, we seem to like the real, but, you know, we got one problem. And I go, what is that? And they go, well, you know, for, for Andrew Form and myself, this is our first feature. I go, yeah. And they go, and you worked on the original. 
He goes, so if the film is a success, it might become all about you. <laughs> oh my God. And, and I started laughing. I go, I go, look, man, is there a mirror near you? Yeah. I said, okay, go stand in front of the mirror and I'm going to tell you when to stop talking. Now say that over again. If the film is a success, I said, stop. I said, that's it. You've made it. The film is a success. You don't give a fuck about what happens past that point. Your career is made, man. Take it from me. If the film is a success, you got it. Don't worry about what happens beyond that. Well, and I said, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I can't erase myself. I said, I don't need to, you don't have to talk it up. You don't have to mention it if you don't want to. But, you know, Marcus is my, is my brother. I've shot everything he's done for the last, I don't know, how many years, 10, 12 years. Yep. And I know he's going to make a good film for you, and it behooves me to be involved with it. Now what happens is I've already gone through the part where I've told him it's going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the MTV generation. It's not mm -hmm. going to look, not going to be gritty and grainy and, and cinema verite style, doc style like the original was, right? Mm -hmm. I said, that had to do, that style came about with technology at the time. The film stock was very slow, uh, not very light sensitive. The lights were not very strong. Uh, I, I was 23 years old. What the fuck did I know? I thought I knew everything. And clearly <laughs> I did understand composition because that film was shot at a time before video assist, meaning only I could see the compositions wow. at the time that they were going down. Uh, and I and I designed a lot of the classic moves from that shot, so clearly I had an eye for that. But I didn't know a lot about lighting, that's for sure. And so it does have it. It doesn't have a very. And there are a few instances, but by and large, it doesn't have a very stylish lighting look to it. It's more more or less kind of documentary looking, mm -hmm. uh, almost available because I'm just looking to get enough light to expose the film often. Well, and then you, so then you were making it for the MTV generation. Oh, so yeah, you weren't MTV with those restrictions. Entirely different. Now I have lights. Now I know how to light. Now I have the modern technology to use and I have a, a bigger budget. Although to be honest with you, it felt like I was on the same budget, but instead of $80,000 to make the film, I had uh, $5 million to make the film. Awesome. So you made that for 5 million. Okay. 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 Yeah, the budget was, uh, is it was eight, five, but I believe that, uh, 3.5 of that went to Toby and Kim for the rights mm -hmm. and uh, to all the other executive producers that somehow had dinner with somebody along the way to make the job <laughs> work. But um, anyhow, what I wanted to tell you is uh, now we're getting close to shooting it and Marcus decides, okay, we're starting shooting on a Monday. I want to go out on Friday and shoot some stuff on Friday. I'm going, Marcus, why do that? I said, everybody's trying to get ready to be 100% ready for you dressing sets you know we had to clear out mold out of a, out of the house interior you know everybody's behind why do you want to start shooting one day too soon mm. that's what i want to do i'm saying don't do it i said you know what, you're going to stress the army you're going to stress everybody you know he goes when did you become the defender of the week and i go well marcus i said i just know that i said look it's it's one thing on a two or three day commercial if you put them a little bit behind they can work, you know, and they, they'll catch up. I said, but this is too big. I yeah. said, they're, 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 they got work ahead of them for five weeks from when we, six weeks from when we start, right? And those days are mapped out and you can't take a day away from them now because everything will fall apart. I said, well, it'll just be small. I said, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to come up, you know, shorthanded or, or short propped or short wardrobed or short crude or anything for the shoot you want to do. So everybody will be there. It's just no way to keep everybody working. 
He says, uh, he's grumpy. And at the same time, he's also telling me, everyone is telling me what to do. Just because I never directed a film before, is it, even the producers are telling me what to do. They never, I don't even know if they've even seen a film before. <laughs> and, and he's going, he's really upset about it. And because you have to understand, no one becomes a director because they want other people to tell them what to do. Or mm -hmm. most no one becomes a director. I can tell you a few people who do like to be told what to do, who, who are more interested in the title of director than directing. But anyhow, in this case, this man absolutely is interested in being a director, and he's upset that everybody's telling him what to do. I said, well, he goes, so what we're going to do, Daniel, and you probably are aware, I don't know if your audience is, that on a feature film of this kind of 30-day shoot like this, you're expected to do 30, somewhere, excuse me, between three and four pages of, of script a day. Yeah. That's what you're expected to shoot. Yep. Uh, and uh, he goes, we, Daniel, he goes, there are 11 pages in the van. We will shoot the fucking 11 pages on the first day. He goes, then everybody will just fucking leave me alone because they'll have to. He goes, I don't have to listen to anybody. If I shoot it three times faster than they think I can, they will shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I said, okay, Marcus, well, there's only one way to do that. I said, instead of this crazy fucking shoot you want to do the Friday before, what we do is we take the van, we put it up on a process trailer, we light it, we lay our dolly track up, we get the cast in there, we rehearse the whole thing. We basically go through the whole 11 pages Marking down the camera positions, we had a, a U-shaped dolly track around the van. We didn't use the, the driver's side of it very much, but mm -hmm. we had the ability to get over there for for Jessica's shots only, the crossing shots on Jessica. Mm -hmm. But we could, um, you know, we could get we could. It was everything was lit, ready to go. All we did was left all the lights in place, left the thing, left, left everything. All we did was take the camera off the off the fluid head. Like everything else was left on there, dolly, track, lights, everything. Just it was going to be the roll. They drove it out there that morning. We let them know that the cast had to be ready as soon as possible at call time. They got them ready for us. We got out there. We, we, we snapped the camera on, and we were rolling in 15 minutes from when we got there. Wow. But, but what I want to tell you was part of that process on that Friday before it was about 106 degrees, which is typical in Austin, Texas in the summer, <laughs> hot as shit. Plus if you remember from the original, in the original, I didn't have any lights and I didn't have a process trailer. I had nothing. So I was shooting an ASA or ISO 16 for those of your audience members who know what that is. Yep. ISO 16 film without lights inside the van. So Jeez. I just had to shoot wide open and, and basically, you just go with available light, like what came in the windows. So it has a very natural look, but the backgrounds are blowing out. Sometimes you can't see anything. Sometimes you might see the dark side of a shadow side of a tree or barely make it out going by or something like that. But frequently, you can't see anything. And to me, that always bothered me. I always felt like, you know, I need to, you know, when I, when I got hired to do the film again, I said, I'm going to fix that. This time, the van's going to be lit and... And I'm very proud of the lighting in there. I'm very proud of the way it looks. And I'm also proud of how quickly we shot it. But the reason I'm telling you this, this part of the story is that in the, in the process of rehearsing it, Marcus goes, listen, these kids, by the time we see them in this film, they've been traveling in the van for five days. I want their hair all stringy and greasy. And I want dirt on their faces. They're dirty. They're grimy. And the producers are going, no, 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 Marcus, you can't go. I don't want to talk about it. They're going to be dirty. They're going to be grimy. And, and, and they come to me and they go, oh, my God, we can't do this. They go, they go, why? They go, Bay is going to totally kill us. 
I go, why? He goes, he told us. He goes, when you're casting, he wants to approve all every bit of the casting. I go, why? He goes, he wanted to make sure that the that, that you cast girls in the audience and good-looking guys. You cast, excuse me, you cast good-looking girls for the film and good-looking guys because he said this film only works if the girls in the audience want to fuck the guys on the screen and if the guys in the audience want to fuck the girls on the screen. <laughs> Other than that, this film, if that doesn't happen, this film is not going to work. Wow. He goes, so we can't, they're going, so they can't be stringy and dirty, right? So anyhow, we're, we're, we're getting to it. We're rehearsing. Marcus is insisting that they be dirty. We haven't done the stringy hair yet, but, uh, you know, they're, they've got, we're putting dirt on their face. And it's so hot. And my lights are so fucking hot. Adding, I'm only adding to the heat. It's probably 106. I'm probably making it 110, 115 with my lights. <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, the, the, they're sweating and and the, and the, the dirt is keeps sweat keeps running through the dirt and it's dripping off and I go you know Marcus it's, this dirt thing is not going to work I mean you know it's too hot they're sweating it's just dripping we can't even get through a take we can't even do you know a two or three page scene all the way through without them sweating yeah so said it's, it's ruining the take well what do you think of course I'm always about light right I have been ever since I realized that that's what separates the men from the boys is not not camera operating that's for sure not what separates the men from the boys it's yeah like, yeah operating is important but i feel it's like serving a tennis ball you can teach almost anybody to operate paying a tilt well yeah some people do it slightly better than others but you know but basically if a person got any sort of cord eye hand coordination they can do it well um but lighting that's that's different now you've got to you got you draw from you know you have nothing you got to make something out of nothing uh, it, with light and, uh, you know, uh, so I'm always thinking about lighting it's, and I, and, and when I, when I get to know a director, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let him know. I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Almost everything that I ever tell you is going to be driven by light. Hell yeah. Just know that, right. Yeah. Just going yeah. into it that, well, why did he say that? And it's, it's about light. So anyhow, uh, I said, uh, she said, so what should we do? I don't want them just, you know, looking like, like cream puffs, you know, <laughs> They got to, you know, I said, well, how about if they're just sweaty? Yeah. Because I knew that the wet would just make my lights just go, you know, because I'm a cross lighter. Yep. You know, and I just know that that, that, that wet it would just pick up the light and just make it shine just the way I wanted it to be. Uh, that that look that you that you talk about, that, the, you know, the strong back light and that cross light look that's that that I like so much, right? That Marcus yep. also loves that look. That's one of the reasons we had such a long career together in commercials. Uh, and we did several uh, feature-length projects together as well, is that we both thought of light in exactly the same way. Yep, yep. And so uh, he went, okay, good. Uh, now, he was on one side of the of the process trailer, and I was on the, he was on the driver's side, I was on the passenger side, and when he agreed to it, okay, that's it, then he goes, okay, he makes an announcement, no more dirt on the face from now on, just go in there and spritz them. Uh, <laughs> so they have a nice uh, spritz on their faces, but they will not be dirty, Hair will be clean, and you know they'll just be sweaty. So I hear this scramble, 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 and I turn around, and it's Foreman Fuller on their knees. They've come crawling around the van to me, and they're bowing down to my feet. <laughs> see my feet. They're saving their asses. So, so. Oh man, I so, love it. I love it, dude. So ah. Now then, uh, we've been shooting for about two weeks, and. The film's looking really well. It's really, really looking good, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. And 
you know, I'm teamed up with Marcus, somebody that I'm happy to work with. And, you know, he's, and, and with the production designer, Greg Blair, and it's just, we're just carrying on like the great work that we, we had done all along and in the, for years before that. And um, at the same time, I, I, I'm into playing basketball and, you know, we're shooting in Austin, Texas and probably figured out that I went to the university of Texas at Austin. Mm-hmm. So when we needed a place to play basketball on the weekends, because I was, you know, a, a, a somewhat uh, notorious uh, alumni from the film department, they were able to hook me up with the gym. Uh, we could get access to the gym for myself and, um, uh, Andrew Form, uh, one of the producers, he played, and we'd bring crew guys in, and we'd play basketball on Saturdays. Cool. Well, as we're driving there this, on the, the second week, second weekend, I get I get in the car with Form, and he's driving. He goes, Daniel, he goes, you know, I, we just can't thank you enough. You know, we were worried you were going to be Marcus's guy. He said, you've done nothing but help us with Marcus, you know, uh, to get him on, you know, on help us – you know, shape the path that he's going, that he's proceeding on. Uh, that's been so great. You know, we just can't thank you enough. Um, you have the, the picture looks amazing. It goes, we're getting calls from new line going, look, you guys have got $5 million to make this picture. It looks like you've already spent $5 million in the first two weeks. How the <laughs> fuck are you going to finish the picture? Because they can't believe that we're doing it for them, for the, that we're getting the look that we're getting for the price we're getting. And he said, and you know, uh, we have a favor to ask of you. I said, yeah, sure, well, sure, what is it? He goes, well, are you familiar with uh, Harry Knowles' Ain't It Cool News? And I was not. Are you familiar with Harry Knowles' Ain't It Cool News? Yeah, I remember the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember when he was Back in the day, yep. that was the geek, um, you know. Uh, the, the origins of the nerdum on the internet, yes. It was, yes, and it was the nerd uh, film site as well. Yep. And he goes, well, from about a month ago, when they learned we were doing this film, he goes, they've been doing nothing but bitch about it, going, oh, holy fuck, there's nothing sacred. Doesn't Hollywood have a fucking old original idea? They're going to fuck this up just like they did Psycho. God damn it, the greatest horror film of all times. Can't they fucking leave it alone? Right? Yep. And I go, oh, man, that's, I'm really sorry to hear that. That's terrible. He goes, yeah, but last night, somebody posted that they hired Daniel Pearl, the cinematographer from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that he did such a good job on the original that perhaps he might bring something new to it 29 years later, right? <laughs> everybody, it said suddenly the whole tone changed. Everybody, oh, cool. And everybody suddenly got into it all of a sudden. Suddenly, people were looking forward to it. I said, well, I'm really, really happy to hear that. He goes, so I said, but what's the favor? He goes, well, we'd like you to do interviews for us. <laughs> and I go... Oh, I guess so. So we're not worried about if the film becomes successful anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> I said, I'm glad you guys are wised up on that. So, um, yeah. And so, so then every day from that point on, remaining a uh, couple of weeks that it was, a few weeks that it was, right? Yep. I would do an interview before I leave the hotel, and I do another one at lunchtime. Uh, and you know, and every interview we start out with, so it's going to be gritty and grinning like the original, right? And I go, no. And they go, what do you mean, no? And I go, well, what do you mean? It's got to be the same as the original. I said, I've already done that. Yeah. You know? And and uh, so in the end, I, I, I do think that uh, while 
you know, the producers produced a, a, a great film. And Marcus certainly crafted a great film. But I do think that the cinematography of the remake is is something that separates it out. And like the Brother Strauss said, it, it, it a lot of people feel like I, I redefine the look of horror films going forward from that point on. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I would say, you know, whatever my opinion's worth, a hundred percent, that after that Texas Chainsaw remake happened, everybody was doing that. Everybody mm-hmm. was doing that same hard backlight. Everybody was doing all those same techniques. The trailers all sounded the same. Like wow. it, it really sort of changed the face of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the thing that I got excited about with it, being a cinematographer myself and being a guy that's obsessed with lighting myself, was that you could bring this higher, like sort of like a higher evolution of lighting, like almost a a more refined um, cinematography palette to horror. Because Michael Bay had done that with action. You know, you had like The Rock, you had like all his other stuff where he was bringing sort of his fashion techniques that he would use doing like a Victoria's Secrets ad and bringing them into like shooting like Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. So, So like, I think that you did the same thing with horror, 100. percent Yeah, it's it, just it's just you know the style that which we were shooting in. You know, Marcus and I, it's just we just ca- just carried on in our style. You know, he just he adapted himself to horror, and I just went along with him. You know? Dude, I I love where this conversation is going. But How I mean, are you so doing I, on? I, I, you know, I never agree to be interviewed for the making of doc, uh, Docs until the end, until we finished the shoot, and because I'm just so. I really don't have time. Any I'm just so cerebrally involved with the, with whatever show or film that I'm on at the time that I refuse to talk about it until it's over. <laughs> uh, and the first thing they asked me, go, well, so what was your inspiration for the, for the remake? And I said, well, uh, it was just keeping up with Marcus. That's my inspiration. You know, I mean, I, we have a style of the things that he likes and I like, and, um, you know, it was just my inspiration is just to keep up with him. That's all. Dude, I love it. That's such a great, that's a great story. It's a great sequence. I mean, personally, I'm going through that on a smaller scale right now because I'm prepping my first feature and I've come up with my cinematographer and I'm uh, talking the guys into trying to let me use my cinematographer because I think it's essential for me. And I understand that argument of like, whose guy is it? Um, well, I, I don't think there should be an argument. I think, uh, yeah. should, I think it should be your guy. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's ridiculous that they play that way. Um, yeah, I get like you know. I, I, unfortunately, I don't get to make the rules, but I, I definitely think I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know who who you're dealing with. You know how high how high up the the uh, the chain they are, uh, but you might say, "Hey, look, Daniel Pearl said I should have my guy." <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, from my perspective, the people that I'm working with are great. I'm not allowed to talk about any of it yet, but the people that I'm working with are amazing, and they're amazing wow. collaborators, and I think they're going to be fine with it. Okay. But at the other end, it kind of falls on me as a director to instill their trust and be like, look, I'm not a fucking drama queen. I'm not going to be someone that shuts down. I actually see the bird's eye view of this entire project. I understand what's going on with everything, and just know that if you get me my guy, what you're essentially doing is you're knocking out a whole variable. There'd be yeah. a whole a completely different variable on the table that we just don't even have to fucking deal. Hey, with. you could, you could go on for hours for all the good reasons to do it. Uh, yeah. they're just, they're not many, what I would call a good reason to not do it. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. the problem. But, but in their mind, you know, if they feel like they have to control things and there it is. But of course, what you're saying, absolutely. Why have a variable? 
eliminate the variable. Go with this with the with the established lines of communication. That's yeah. what's been working. That's what got you there. Dude, I say it all the time. When people hire me for stuff, they'll go, hey, can, we, can you come in and do a music video like this? I'm like, yeah, and you like this because of this style? Cool, hire the cinematographer, hire the gaffer, hire the key grip. Those are the guys that made that. Like I'm taking all the credit for it right. as a director, but those are the guys that did that work. So right. if you want that and simply done, if you want that done quickly and efficiently and cheaper, then you just bring in all those cats because we've already figured out the system for it. You know, like I don't have to figure it out live on set. With, yeah, with new funny. strangers. It's funny because <laughs> Rodrigo Prieto, who is a top-notch cinematographer, yes. one of the top five cinematographers living and working today, right? Yep. Uh, he and I were both doing a, 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 a demonstrations for um, Cine Gear. Okay. Okay. Cinegear, um, and uh, and when we do that, I've done it before. You just you tend to hang. Both, both. One guy goes half, you know, four hours before lunch. The other guy does four hours after lunch, and you tend to hang during your other, your other cinematographer's session. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, I was sitting in there, and Rodrigo, I had done mine, and Rodrigo, and I, and I, I well, I'd shown rather than doing actually doing a lighting demo because I think that's that distracts me. It's too slow. I like to show stuff, and then I'll, I'll diagram or, or answer questions about it. If I don't have questions, then I'll diagram how I did it. Cool. Rather actually trying to move the lights because I get very particular about the lights, and unless I have my crew with me, I don't like to be moving lights around because it's just it's just too slow. I won't get enough done in the four hours. Yeah, so I'm trying to move it, you know, light it perfectly myself. When I have guys going, you know, up down or to, you know, while I'm at a monitor. So anyhow, um, uh, he said he got and he had seen the trailer. Uh, the trailer for for the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre was one of the things I had shown, and and he goes, and he goes when he started, he goes, I got to tell you guys something. He goes, I got hired by somebody to shoot something in the style of this that, that <laughs> stuff with uh, Jessica Biel running in a forest in the in the daytime, with, you know, light streaming through the trees. He goes, he goes, that's just not easy. Goes, <laughs> I'm going. Now I got a question. I said, why did I hire you and not me? <laughs> me to do it yeah question but anyway yeah no dude it's weird how the business works it really is it's strange who yeah. gets in where and then you're navigating egos uh, and all, he's, all you know, he's actually a cinematographer probably chosen before they even knew what they wanted it to look like yeah of course of course this, this has been great how are you on time are you okay i'm fine i you know i feel bad about 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 uh Oh, no worries, brother. You want, no you want, what do you want? You, got any, you want to talk about? I got some other stuff. Okay. Right, go ahead. So let me, let me rotate this, this conversation around a bit because a lot of the kids that are listening to the show are younger. Uh -huh. And so I'm sure that they're sitting there going, I've never seen the Guns N' Roses video and I don't know what meatloaf is. Uh, let's bring it around to the fact that you shot NSYNC's Bye 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 video. Right. <laughs> okay. And the, the stuff that's great about this video for me is that you guys did a lot of that like rotating room stuff, which which I think they were doing in the Jamiroquai video earlier, right? You guys were doing like moving well, well, room stuff. Right? The rotating room was originally done by director Stanley Donan for a film called White Wedding and Fred Astaire dances around the box. Oh, okay. And then reprised for, also directed by Stanley Donan. This is what, such a wonderful career I've had that I get to work with one of the greats of Hollywood 
uh, in the early 80s for a Lionel Richie video, Dancing on the Ceiling. Oh, yeah. We don't do it very well, but we did it. <laughs> uh, we did it. And then, of course, uh, Wayne Isham was not only a great director, but also a great friend of, of myself and my wife's. Um, he was uh, the director on the uh, Instinct Bye Bye Bye, and he wanted, he wanted to do it. And of course, I knew how to do it. And so what you do is you have to build a big uh, rectangle uh, out of uh, an iron cube, excuse me. Uh-huh. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be equal equal sided cube, uh, but it is the front and the back have to be square. The the depth of it, it could be whatever, and both of those things sit in a in a in a in a rail in a in a guide in a rail. It's a circular rail, excuse me. Around there's there's the rectangle of the box which has a circular uh, rail in big heavy pipe yep. outside the front and the rear that sits in a sits in like casters and there's a motor drive that can make it make it turn and then set is built inside that it has to be built with enough clearance that the lighting is all bolted onto the set as well fascinating so uh, the lights have to go with the set otherwise you would not have the illusion of a person defying gravity you would have the illusion of the set rotating inside of a lighting setup so all the lights get 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 bolted down into place and, and clamped into place and and set and um, and away you go. How are you dealing with? And this may get too techy, but how are you dealing with like cabling and stuff like that? Because all those lights need power, and that doesn't that just eventually just sort of get tangled up into the yes, rig itself. It does, but then you can you have two choices. You can either backwind or you can break break you know pull the pull up the uh, stage plugs and, and, and wind the cable and replug. Oh, and fascinating. You can also wind the wrong way, right? Yeah. So you can wind the wrong way. Uh, or you can do it with the, with the room, spin the room too. It depends on, you know, how much time you got, et cetera. But you can go ahead and if you can, if you, if you can handle 12 revolutions, well, you can hand, you can go 12 in the wrong direction and then 12 in the, you know, you get 24 before you, it gets too tight. Yeah, see, that's what's so interesting about this stuff. Once you start getting into like the, the tech stuff behind cinematography and camera tricks like that, then you start to understand that that restricts the amount of times that you can rotate the room, and then that's sort of influencing the shots and how many times that rotates than that. It's, it's fucking fascinating. And then all and, breaks down to and, timing and at that point. And it's certainly done much more effectively in... Uh, um, uh, in the bye 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 that it is in dancing on the ceiling yeah it looks great in that and then you know for uh, like i said the younger listeners inception is another I- I- example of that like christopher that, nolan was doing that in inception. i think that i think that a mistake that i made in uh dancing on the ceiling is that i shot it on too tight of a lens uh and it didn't you didn't get the feeling in fact i had to so i don't know if i had to pan and tilt with it sometimes or recompose it sometimes it was uh, it was it was weird. It's, it's done very poorly. Um, Strange. It, it, and so you're saying that if you had done it with a wider lens, then the effect would have been a bit more prominent because you're actually seeing it moving on the edges, kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah you know, I needed to maybe maybe the set was very small and I, I couldn't go any wider. Yeah, I think the set may have been very small, small and I or and or I couldn't get the camera very far away from from the the pivot point that it was or the. The, the the opening of the box 
right? I couldn't, I couldn't came with the camera out very far. Uh, look, that was 19, I don't know, 82 or 83. It was pretty early into it. Uh, and, uh, I still had a lot to learn at that point. And, yeah, but it's it's yeah. I mean, but, but dude, there's something really great about learning with you and watching the progression of this stuff. And and I think that there hit a point in time. I'm sure after Jurassic Park, where everybody was like, "You got to dump cash into CGI. You got to dump cash into the computer backend. It's got to be slick. It's got to be shiny." And people forget that the stuff that makes movies really great or music videos really great is a lot of the analog on the set like old school tricks, run the camera in reverse, turn it upside down, do this sort of thing. Like it's all magician, like magic trick stuff, which I love about fucking filmmaking. I think that's the best part is that if you're on your game and you have enough solid experienced professionals around you, there's a hundred different ways to figure it out. Um, and I, I always love the simplest form of that. Like, how do we make these guys walk in the ceiling? I don't know. We have to build CGI guys. And we got to make sure the, the clothing looks real. Or we just build it in a fucking cube and we spin it on a thing. You yeah. know? I, I love mean, that. Look, I've also built, uh, for Filter, Take a Picture. It was the first time I did it. I've also done it for Usher. Uh, built a whole set in a, in a similar cube inside of a metal frame cube, a big pipe frame cube. Yep. And picked it up with a crane and slowly lowered it into water as the scene progressed. Oh, super cool. And where the water level, first is a dry room and the water comes up through the floor and it comes up and up and up and up and up and little people are underwater. Oh, yeah. I remember that video. Yeah. That filter, take a picture. And also uh, for um, dive, usher dive. 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 Um, but... Uh, yeah, so the, you know you're right. I mean, and this, uh, you know, magic and, and magicians. I mean, it, it's a very uh, interesting, um, interesting coincidence that the Magic Castle was right next to the ASC clubhouse. Because <laughs> I mean, it really is. We are. A lot of our technique is magic. It's yeah. the same basis of, of magicians and of course as a young kid i was into magic tricks i'd make my mother buy me magic right you know some there was something in the back of the comic books a place we could send away for magic tricks and, <laughs> you know and, I, and every you know i'd bugger or you know what or boy's life or wherever i don't even know where i find these things anymore it's hard to imagine nowadays in the internet age how we figured out anything before we had the internet yeah totally totally I used that's to buy, a big or thing. maybe you should take me to the store to buy magic tricks maybe there was a toy store that sold them i don't know but I was into magic tricks and and consequently that same sort of thinking about how to how to solve you know film technique uh you know requirements or needs so very much a we are magicians and um and magicians to some degree are you know build scenarios and they tell stories and they're filmmakers as well just they don't have a camera and we don't have an audience right at, at the time we're working but but there's a lot of similarities in our in our gigs. Well, dude, you. This is why I love having you on the show, and I almost want to have you on the show again because there's so much I can ask you. Yeah, you can do that if you want to do me more than once. That's fine, dude. So you have such a, a plethora of experience and knowledge, and you know we're talking about music videos a lot. So let's stay on this tangent. Like just 
just the different genres of music videos. So you're talking about like the rock genre, you're talking about NSYNC is like the dance genre. And these days, if you watch like choreographed dance music videos, it just seems like they have an automated techno crane and they're just pushing in and out, in and out, in and out like 50 times. And then they cross cut those videos. The stuff that you guys were doing back in the day with moving sets and intercutting and and it, you could tell that the camera just didn't exist on a fucking techno crane. Like, like there's so- it, it, it does, but perhaps I'm really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and then you know you 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 look at the skills that's needed to figure out how to do a wide enough shot to get the choreography correct, right? So like if you if you're dealing with like in sync, you must have been working very close to whoever was choreographing the dance moves, right? Uh, yeah, I wasn't, but the director was. But you know, um, but you know, again, this it goes back to that same. Same thing that I, that I told you about that dance was a logical, um, you know, uh, excuse me. The music. It goes back to the same thing that music was a logical soundtrack for me. Well, dance was also the logical uh, source of imagery for me. Um, my second film was uh, was, a, was a dance film. Oh. Uh, a friend of mine did a tabla drum, drum track and then a, a choreographer that I met, uh, she choreographed... Um, it was again. It was my second film, so I was I was operating under a very simplistic uh, concept that on the beat, boom, 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 on the downbeat every time, mm-hmm. uh, the the shot would change to a different angle. That would that in my in my mind was going to be the best angle for each particular movement that the that that the choreographer had set for herself to dance. Um, came time to shoot it. She showed up and she. Virtually shaved her head. She just left a little bit of hair, which was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And <laughs> made her look really good uh, for the piece. And she said, "I said you shaved your head." She goes, "Yeah." She thought, thought it'd be a distraction. My hair flopping around every time I moved. So I wanted to get rid of my hair, which is incredible. I'm forever wow. grateful for that. Uh, but you know, that's it. It was. But what I got to tell you about that film? Oh, it's a zombie. And eventually, I'll post that on well as well on Instagram because. I own the track to that one, so I don't have to worry about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't have to worry about getting kicked off. Um, but with that film, shortcoming of it is interesting. And what I did, some of the angles are cool, but wanting to cut every time, every downbeat for four minutes is a lot of cuts. And what I've now came well, much didn't take me since then to learn it, but sort of quickly after that realized that. When you set up a, a, a pattern in filmmaking, as soon as the audience recognizes the pattern, you've got to change it. Yeah. And yep. that's so I carry on all the way through cutting on the same, on the downbeat, boom, boom, boom on the downbeat, on the downbeat for the entire film, as opposed to skipping it sometimes and doing double cuts to a, to a, to a, to a pattern, right? Yep. Um, that that piece, well, it's interesting, and as a cinematographer, it's interesting. But as a as an editor it's, or a director, because it was my idea to have all these different shots, and I only shot one move for each thing, so I couldn't even I couldn't even cut it any other way other than the way I shot it. So yeah, you didn't get the coverage. Uh, yeah, it, dude, that's so interesting. Uh, I think for a lot of the listeners, because I've spent years cutting music videos, and and you're 100 percent right. What you end up doing is you find the rhythm and you find this this t- this tempo and this beat 
to do it. And it's sometimes it's down to like three or four frames on when you can cut to the lead singer and when you can't cut to the lead singer. But I find that I'll start a rhythm, intentionally start a rhythm and then break that rhythm. And what it's subconsciously doing is keeping you interested because you have to, you can't fall into a trance. You're ultimately going like, oh, what's this new rhythm and what's this new shot? You know? Well, in addition, this is something that you're probably going to want to include for sure, uh, is that you know music videos are different than all other films in that they are the only films that are going to be watched numerous times. They yeah. might be watched 20, 30 times, maybe watched 50 times. Yeah. Right? And no other films are screened that often. Right? But so in a way, you don't want a recognizable pattern because it'll become boring quickly. You want to change it up and... So not only in the editorially, but also in in the the clarity of your images and the clarity of the storyline doesn't always have to be. You don't really want people to get it on the first screening, right? You mm-hmm. want people to keep finding new things in a music video through four or five, eight, nine, ten screenings because that'll keep them coming back. Yep, hundred percent, one hundred percent agree. It's a very it's a very important thing, and I can't tell you. You know, I can tell you, somebody counted. I've shot 478 music videos. <laughs> Jesus. And, well, it's, you know, it seems like a lot, but there was a time when I was doing 50 a year, no problem. So mm-hmm. maybe more than 50 a year. So, uh, you know, so um, it's, it's easy to get to that number in, that amount, in, a, in, a, in a long period of time. I can't tell you how many times uh, I've read a treatment, and a treatment storyline will be very lineal. Yeah, and we'll shoot it as if it's going to be lineal, but in the edit, it's all over the place, and that has speaks to this idea of mine that you need to create a complexity. You just don't want people to get the story right away. You want it to, you know, you want them to have to think about it. Make them think about this film. What is it they're watching? Make them think about those images in order to understand it. That makes for the best music videos, of course. Totally, with with a good track. Totally. As a director, when I would get treatments or ideas from bands and they were incredibly, they were just too linear. I always hate doing narrative videos. They kind of drive me crazy because it's, you're, you're being too definitive about the, the song. You're being too definitive about uh, how the audience is going to process this. Because if you're just listening to a track clean without any visuals, you're painting that picture for yourself. You paint your own movie, absolutely. Yeah. And so like if you're too if you're too narrative, if you're too on the nose with it, then the audience can judge it immediately. And I was doing a lot of metal videos and stuff. And it was always like guy comes home from the military and his wife or guy dies in the military and the wife has to deal with it or something else. And you're just like, I get it. I've seen it a hundred times in these things. Can we? Yeah, that, that's a very valid point. And uh, you know, that you shouldn't, you don't want to be too literal because uh, that's it. That's boring. Yeah. Uh, and you know, something that, you know, I thought about it a lot, although I'll confess to you, I haven't thought about it in years, but in the, probably the first 10, 15 years that I was, uh, since Russell Mulcahy brought me into the music video uh, genre, I thought about it often, about how, yeah, we used to have our own idea of what these songs were about, and now we're creating that for people. Uh, you know, we're filling in that blank for people that are letting them fill in their own blanks. Yeah. And, um, you know, I wonder... I wondered for a long time if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And I still don't know the answer, but I don't think about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's really cool to hear that we share a lot of the same philosophies on this stuff. And, and 
Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of that comes from the fact that your work is is very much been a part of my history and my my upbringing and that knowledge, especially with lighting. I know for a fucking fact, my years of, of a photographer were completely influenced by the music videos and stuff that you guys put together. Um, and uh, I just wanted to wrap it up. And I, I know it's a whole other topic, but I would be upset if I didn't bring it up. Um, I think that one of my favorite movies that you guys have done, that you've done, uh, was a, another team up with Toby Hooper and it was one of the films that I saw as a young kid. I think I wasn't supposed to see it. And uh, I snuck downstairs and put in the VHS anyways and watched it. And it scared the shit out of me for so, for so many years. <laughs> was the remake uh, of Invaders from Mars. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the compliment on that. Um, and it was, it, of course, it was good to be working with Toby again. That, that came about because I had sort of uh, rescued him from... Uh, a time of uncertainty uh, about his career and everything um, uh, to get him, to bring him the uh, the dancing with myself uh, video for uh, Billy Idol. Wow! Yeah. Right. Uh, anyhow, uh, so then Toby, we had you know after we did that, and it was very successful for Toby. Toby also got he got nominated for best director at the first MTV Awards. And wow. uh, that was huge for him because at that time he was he was pretty much licking his wounds that he he had a rough time on Poltergeist. Yeah, I've read about that. And this was uh, this was you know the new happening hot genre that was everybody was talking about it. They were doing articles in Fortune magazine that it was saving the music industry, and uh, I was able to bring him this uh, opportunity to shoot that and uh, it went very well and well received. And like I said, he got nominated for best director first ever MTV award. So that was a good thing. Um, oh, up with him for invaders from Mars. Yeah. So um, uh, have you ever seen the original? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Well, that was a huge favorite film of mine. I grew up in New York uh, in the metropolitan area of New York and uh, New York city. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was a million dollar movie there. And if you were sick, because we had, you know, rough winters, and if you were sick with flu or what have you, cold, and you stayed home, the million dollar movie would show, would pick one classic movie, whether it be uh, Gunga Din or Mighty Joe Young or uh, <laughs> Invaders from Mars, right? And they would show the same film five or six times a day, every day of the week for a week. Wow. And so as a kid, in those days, all that was on during the daytime was soap operas. And, you know, so you'd be awake and, you know, you'd wake up whatever time, you know, probably sleep because you had the flu, you'd sleep late. But you'd be awake, for, you know, hopefully you go back to sleep to get well, but you'd be awake through the daylight hours and just watching the same movie over and over again because there was nothing else on television to watch. <laughs> so uh, the original Invaders from Mars was was very much a favorite film of mine. And, and um uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad you like it. Uh, I got to tell you that unfortunately, I find the original to be a better film. But maybe I'm just super critical of my own work on the on the remake. Well, dude, come on. Yeah, I mean, there's a level of that. But look, the stuff I love about there's some stuff in it that's a little dated. Like some of the creature effects feel a little dated in the back end. But what I love about that movie is what I like about the team up between you and Toby Hooper. Period. Is that your films have this 
I don't know how else to describe it other than humidity. It has like sort of this sticky humidity about them <laughs> where when I, when I watch them, I feel the, I feel the environment. I feel the atmosphere. You, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course, you're sitting there going, Jesus Christ, it must have been so hot. And that annoying kid in that fucking wheelchair. Like you, you watch that first movie and it's, it's, it's an abrasive experience. Right. And then this one, seeing it as a kid and watching your father go over that hill, right? <laughs> Goes over that hill where the spaceship landed. And then he comes back the next day and he's just sweating weird and he's moving strange. And it's, it's got quite a following. Uh, you know, I, I'm always surprised when I'm being interviewed and people bring it up. They go, really? And yeah, 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 it's got a following. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're one of them, so thank you very much. <laughs> Dude, I love it, man. I, like, is it a perfect movie? No, it's probably not. But there's so much great atmospheric stuff that I, that I, dude, I'm going to rip off like a hundred percent. Like there's so much stuff in there that I love. Uh -huh. um, and, and this is what I love about the, the movies from my childhood. And, and I think I hate to sound like an old guy, but the stuff that I like about the eighties and nineties is that it was all about atmosphere. And you just felt that, whether it was the stuff that you were doing with Toby Hooper, if it was the stuff that Spielberg was doing with his stuff and, and E.T. And, and Indiana Jones. Like, there was this sense of atmosphere and scale and scope. And and you that even translated down into the music videos. You know, fucking you know I got I to say that perhaps, you know, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake, were 30 days, 30 day shoot. Yep. And now shoots are down to my last four or five pictures have been 25 only because I refuse to take anything less than 25 days. Yep. And perhaps, you know, people all come to me all the time with 18 day shoots, three, six day weeks. I go, no way. It's just a race. I actually almost feel like 25 days is a race, but okay. I guess what I'm getting around to is that perhaps, and, and people can just, they can say, right. You know, and it's hard to even argue the point with the producer that the digital is faster. You know, it's just a faster way to shoot. You don't have all the reloads. You don't have to be thinking about that. You don't roll out during a take as frequently. Uh, you don't need as much light. Uh, and that's absolutely the truth. Uh, the lights have gotten bigger. Uh, the lights have gotten less hot and they've gotten smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing have gotten faster. Cameras are way more light sensitive. So the whole process is sped up. However, perhaps what's suffering is what took place while when the technical took more time, did that perhaps allow people to invest that time wisely in bringing texture to the piece? Yeah. Right? And yeah. now that we have a faster process, well, there's no extra time for people to make use of. Yeah. Yeah. And removed. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought of that up until just now or put it in those words, but uh, I, I definitely feel a difference in the process and you know uh in love with the process well <laughs> the process in my opinion was a better process when it was filmed when it was filmed first of all it was a dollar a second to roll a 35 millimeter camera everybody paid attention right everybody you know everybody when it was time to roll there was an announcement okay quiet on the set we're gonna roll not like the camp nowadays, the camera's rolling all the time. It can be if anybody wants it to be, right? Yeah. yeah. This is the picture set. We, we had to, when it was filmed, we had to give an F stop. And until we gave an F stop, nobody would dare 
put a picture up on anything, right? And then once we gave an f-stop, and it wasn't the exact picture anyhow, but once we gave an f-stop, then we were ready to shoot, right? Well, now the, there's a picture up from the first, when a camera lands on the tripod the first time, there's a picture there all the whole time you're setting up. Yeah. So that should be a good thing for the process because it lets everybody see what's going on. It should be put to good use. If people use it to rehearse and people use it to, to, to tweak the set or to tweak the lighting or whatever. But of course, at the same time, you don't want to slow it down because you have to have momentum. Momentum is everything in filmmaking. As long as you're, it doesn't even matter if you're going down the wrong path. As long as you're moving, you'll eventually find the correct path. That's my opinion. So you don't want to slow down the momentum. But at the same time, the process has changed so much to where people aren't even paying attention half the time. Everybody's on their, well, the phones have become a factor as well. So yeah. people are on their phones. People, you know, uh, it's, the minute the camera's rolling all the time, so it's not that special deal. Okay, we're going to roll camera. I mean, it can be, but it, but it, it's not the same short, sort of crescendo of, 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 you know, everyone coming together for this moment. You know, everybody brings their energies all together and the energies peak at the moment that we roll market, you know, and here we go. Right. Action. Yep. Yep. So yep. there's less, less of on the sets I'm on anyhow, less of a build to that moment. That, so that moment has become less important in my mind. It makes sense, man. It totally does. And, and I think that in this, you know, because our, you know, cinematography is a technical world, and where we've been inundated by the manufacturers of all this gear for so long, and everybody's like, yeah, but digital's cheaper. Blah, 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 blah. It's the same thing with why I'm obsessed with vinyls lately. It's the same thing with uh, why I'm obsessed with like the mechanical way of doing it because it requires, per like, it requires attentiveness and it requires physical strength to do these things. It requires you to be present for it. And I, I mean, I've said it on the show before, you hear the rumors of Tarantino where he like literally forbids a, a phone on his set. I get it. And it isn't because he, he doesn't want you not to, or at least I wouldn't want you not to be able to access the internet to find answers. It's just that for, for a brief period of time, when we win the lottery, uh, try not to plug yourself into that dopamine drug bag and, <laughs> and, and be on set with the rest of us and get your dopamine from creating, get your dopamine I, from I, building. I tried to get the union to create a position, a receptionist, somebody that had everybody's phones. <laughs> when everybody shows up, they give the person a phone. because, you know, I mean, look, there are personal reasons. Some people have children. They want to know the kid's getting picked up. They want to know if their kid's all right. You know, the kid's sure. are in the hospital, whatever. So people have reasons they need to communicate. And now, of course, now the call sheets are come out, uh, you know, and they go onto people's phones. And then you got the communications with the suppliers. If you have a crane to come or go. So people have reasons that they have to have their phones on set. But, but that doesn't mean that they're always using them for valid reasons. Yeah. But, I mean, I realize now when I try to take everybody, no, no phone, no phone. Like, well, you know, we're trying to find a, a steady cam operator for tomorrow. You know, so we, the ACs are calling around. So, you know, they need their phones. Or the grip's trying to bring in a crane. Or, you know, or the, or the gaffer's trying to, you know, or, or order up some special lights or arrange to return some, whatever. You know, um, there's things that have to be done. But it's, it's a distraction for sure. Uh, 
Yeah, but the the idea of a receptionist is great. <laughs> they have all the phones and they screen the calls and they you know they they can deal with everything. You know, just uh, they didn't like that idea. Uh, well, nowadays in the COVID, we don't need to add anybody to the. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I do want to wrap up one other point that I started earlier that I didn't finish. Okay, I started to talk about why. People might wonder, well, how does a guy who's 23 years old, 48 years ago, shoots a Texas Chainsaw Massacre and doesn't wind up with more illustrious of a, of a feature career than, I, than I've had? Yeah, granted, I've, the remake of T Chainsaw is good, and Friday the 13th is good, and Intruder is a good film. And mm -hmm. I, I've made some good films, some films that have done well as well in the box office. Um, but I am, I'm pretty, I'm a little bit nutty. You know, I'm really suited for that short shoot that I'm really suited for the music video thing totally and that's sort of what brought me into commercials is I shoot commercials with guys that are strong in commercials but they're also strong in music video Marcus Nispel uh, for years and years and years and nowadays Joseph Kahn um, but they're also music video shooters and I basically have sort of set they they sort of get a feeling for working with Daniel Pearl in the music video world and then they decide they like that, and then they bring me into their commercial, their commercial world. Mm -hmm. So, how do I put it? I'm, you know, I'm not really, you know, in a way, a feature, especially the big ones, are kind of like having a, you know, a, a regular job. You know, you're 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 on for, well, both uh, Alien versus Predator and um, Pathfinder. Pathfinder I did in Vancouver the year the year before, the exact same time period, just offset by the one day that the calendar changes. But <laughs> both for Fox, 20th Century Fox, and I was there from, I believe, mid-August uh, to start prepping uh, up until um, the, almost Christmas. Wow. Or maybe late, maybe late week, last week of August as well. Either second or third week of August until right up before Christmas. And... Um, <clears throat> That, that's you know, that's like having a regular job. I mean, you got a parking <laughs> space; it's assigned to you. You know, you're you're just, it just becomes quite routine. And um, I, I'm more of a guy who de deals better when it's not routine. You know, uh, as part of part of what makes me valuable on a music video set when they're always trying to break the rules, blow up the rules, really, smash them, like I said before, in one way mm -hmm. or another. And uh, <clears throat> and so. You know, but maybe not such a perfect guy for something that wants to be all laid out months ahead of time, every lighting plot diagram so that the pre-riggers can go in there and rig it exactly the way it's going to be. And, you know, we go through it, even though it's going to take fucking three or four months to shoot the movie as opposed to five weeks. Um, still, there's a, there may be a level of, of preparedness and organization that that's not my thing and that what makes me so well suited for shorter films and for low budget films where lower budget films where that's not ex expected. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Well, dude, it makes sense. I mean, like if we're, we're talking to the cinematographer for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was like you guys sticking on your toes. I've heard all the, I don't want to get into them on the show cause we're out of time, but I've heard all the stories of like have, how you guys brought that movie together. And so your style, it seems like from an outside perspective, your style was built on ingenuity and built on being 
able to come up with ideas quickly. And, and I'm sure that you get a rush from doing that sort of thing, correct? Yeah, and that's, how, that's exactly how I am. I'm not, I'm not in fact, I, in school, I wasn't that, that studious of a student. I'm left-handed, so I had reading you know, uh, issues early in my life. Uh, fortunately, my parents bought, I, was, I like to collect things. My parents bought me the Hardy Boy books. Oh, I read those too. You read them as well, yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to, you know, once they told me here, here's here's volume one. There's 32 of these, I think it was, or something like that. Maybe there was, I think maybe there was 27 when I started, but there was 32 by the time I finished. And um, uh, you know, and so that got me into reading. And since I was, I you know, I I I I was first of all, I loved the stories, and and I got into collecting of it, and pretty much sorted me out as a reader. I think I really attributed to that. But, you know, but I'm not that disciplined of a student. So I'm not a guy who does a lot of studying, not a guy who would do his reports in advance. I'd always do my reports the night before they were due all night long, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, very much, a you know, uh, a shoot from the hip kind of a kind of a guy. And that has worked out for me. So, and, yeah. you know, there's there, there's there's a spot for there's a place for that in music video because in music video, you never knew what was going to happen. Like I tell people, like. You know, people go, well, of the three genres that you work in, I don't work in, in episodic TV, but I do work in features and I do work in commercials. And I do work in music videos. And they go, which one's your favorite? And I go, well, all three of them are great. I said, commercials are great because you know when you go to work, you're going to be home for dinner. Uh, you know you know, you know, know what you're doing. Everything's <laughs> planned out. You're going to do exactly what was, what was depicted, right? Mm -hmm. On a feature film, well, they're great because even though they're long and they're grinding and they're a gruel, that's where you can build, you know, a bit of a, of a, you know, of a, of a, of a reputation for yourself and people get to know you from feature work. That's, that's where you can really, you know, get, get the word out there about yourself is with features. That's, they get the biggest reception and they're, you know, and you have a credit on screen. People know who you were. Yep. Um, at the same time, music videos are fantastic because anything can happen. And that's, a, that's a great thing about them. You may show up and, and the artist may show up and go, you know, I don't even like anything about that concept. What can we do is, you know, that's got nothing to do with that. Or you may go like, in a, uh, you may go to the top of a mountaintop and there's a valley to, you know, down below. And down one side of the mountain is the beautiful bucolic valley that you're going to shoot this dairy commercial in, right? And <laughs> down down the other side of the alley, uh, the, uh, the mountain into a uh, valley, the, alley. the other side of the mountain into a valley is thunder and lightning and fucking tornadoes are going on and all, all hell's breaking loose. Or commercial, you shoot the bucolic, the pretty bucolic valley that you're supposed to shoot. In a music video, they go, fuck that. This is so much cooler. Shoot that instead. And so that's what it becomes about, right? So, you know, to some degree, it's just, I was just very well suited for that world. You know, where there are disappointments there are hang-ups there are things that don't don't come together or things that can't be afforded or or wardrobe that doesn't isn't appreciated or doesn't fit or wasn't sorted out ahead of time for whatever reason and and, and you know and you just make you, you make use of that opportunity whatever it is that comes up that seems to be a disadvantage you try and turn it into an advantage and that's that's just you know how i've rolled and so that's probably got a hell of a lot to do with what shaped my career.
there it is. Today's episode. I could not be happier with our conversation. Uh, Daniel is super cool uh, and he shared so much stuff. And there is the little kid, there's the teenager inside of me that was hearing those stories about how they shot the estranged video, the behind the scenes stuff on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then the adult in me, like the, the current filmmaker, just hearing the struggles that other filmmakers go through and how common they are. Oh, this is the reason I do this show. Today's episode is the reason I shut everybody up in my house. It's the reason why I do this shit for free. This is the reason why Liam is cutting these things. It is for opportunities like this. And I hope you guys loved it. Hope you guys appreciate it. I know I'm going to be sharing this with all of my music video pals. Uh, Zach Merck, I'm sending this your way. I know you're going to fucking dig a lot of these stories uh, because these are the videos and the visuals that have shaped an entire generation. And you're seeing these. You've seen the effect that this man alone has had as a photographer, as a cinematographer, on movies, on cinema, the language of cinema, uh, the aesthetics of horror, the aesthetics of action film, uh, and just how we perceive the rock star. How we, as, as, as the world perceives a musician and a rock star because prior to this, I mean, he was starting in the beginning, right? Like he said, he was starting in the 80s and doing that stuff. But that transition into the 90s and into the early 2000s has like, look at K-pop. K-pop literally is stealing that style. Modern K-pop is taking that style. It's amazing. And what's so special about that look and that vibe is the fact that there was budget for it. There was a production for it. There was production support for that. And what my group of filmmakers that got into uh, music videos and the ones that came after me, we had to get over. And I talked about this with Jonathan with Big Black Delta. We had to get over 90s brain because we grew up watching his work. And that's the kind of work that we dreamed of making. That is the kind of career path. 50 fucking videos in a year? Are you kidding me? That's amazing. I cannot say enough great things. And I know it sounds like I'm gushing. It's just because this episode's so surprising to me. The booking of this show is so surprising to me. I, I literally accidentally stumbled across uh, one of the people that has created more visuals that inspire my work than anybody I have met. And like I said to him at the end of the show, I can only picture, if I had to cut together the best of for his work, it's just gorgeous. And the range, the fucking range of how these images work. And I know he was making that statement at the end where, you know, offhand, if you go through someone's IMDB and if you're just an internet troll and you sort of go through it and you go, well, this guy hasn't done a lot of features. Why hasn't he done a lot of features since he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Well, you're being an asshole. Go through the process of looking at how much his stuff has influenced everything that you see. And I, to be him, to have that career, I don't, I don't think I'll ever have that career path behind me. That's the truth of it. He's been doing this since he was in his early 20s, and he was at that right time. I don't think I will ever be as influential as this guy was. So I hope you guys understand how cool this episode was. Hope you guys dug it. Thank you so much for listening. And a uh, lot of new stuff, lots of new episodes on the way. Um, and uh, we're going to get into some 
different topics. Uh, but like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm in a good mood. So hopefully the episodes are going to be fucking cheerful. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. I'm not going to rant and rave. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, like I said, check us out at inlovewiththeprocess.com. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday.